This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Good morning, good morning, Relevant Life Church. How are we doing this morning? That was weak. How are we doing this morning? I told pre-service prayer team that if, like, their cheer, like, if you were in high school and you walked into a gym to play basketball against another team and that was, like, their cheer, you'd be guaranteed you know you'd win because it was so weak. So are we excited to be here today? That's better. That's better. That would make me scared, get scared a little bit. Anyway, um, I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome online, too. I'm going to take this off. Sorry. That's going to be, like, wobbling the whole time. That's not going to be great for me. Um, anyway, I hope you're doing well. hope your football team or fantasy team's doing well because NFL season began. If it's not... Um, pray harder and uh, come to church more, I guess. I don't know. Um, and I hope God does something miraculous. Um, I want to jump to uh, or draw your attention to a few things before we jump into the message. First of all, um, we keep highlighting it, but Connect Groups are kicking off October 4th, say Connect Groups. And uh, we had a lot of good sign-ups so far, but there's a lot of you not participating. And um, this is not me guilt-tripping. It is maybe a spiritual guilt trip. But I really believe in um, connect groups. When I look back at the first century church, there's uh, a few things specifically that I'm like, dude, this would have been really cool to experience. And one of them was Acts 2. When we hear them described as the believers were together, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And there's something so beautiful about this life on life and seeing how the church, early church grew, just doing life together. And so that's why we do connect groups. We prioritize. We know our life is fast-paced. We're not expecting a 12-month-long, every-week commitment. It's three weeks in October, and uh, I think you guys can make that commitment if you if you really feel like doing it. And so I'd encourage you to step in. We would love to do life with you, to laugh, to check in. If you're comfortable, share with what's going on in your life. So join us. Um, and if you're scared, just get over it, because I get scared every time I get up here. Um, if you think it's sacrifice, everything worth it in life requires sacrifice, right? So Say, I'm going to sign up for a connect group. No one's, no one's signing up. All right, I'm going to ditch the message, more spiritual manipulation. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Second announcement I want to bring to your attention is Pastor Rana, who's actually running. I'm sorry, my watch is. There we go. Uh, Pastor Rhonda, I'm sorry. Something's in me today. It's probably the Red Bull. But uh, Pastor Rhonda is uh, in, in hosting online right now. Julie right here and Pastor Allie, Julie's our office admin. They're all heading out to Greece tomorrow morning, Athens, Greece, uh, on a missions trip. And I'm going to, I saw I heard a noise. I'm uh, sorry. Dude, this is like, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Okay. So anyway, from what I've understood, uh, they are going as a part of a pre-launch team for a missions organization known as Inspire Global Sisterhood. If I'm wrong, go ask them afterwards. But they're going to be um, kind of going to, to pre-launch, I believe, a conference next year or something like that. And so they're going to be hosting events, leading devotions, um, connecting with the missionary, all these different things. And they're going to be gone for a week. So would you just commit to praying for them um, over their safety and over um, everything. God God wants to use them. God wants to speak into their life. He wants to use them in Greece. And we're actually going to pray right now. So if you just extend a hand, if you're online, you can extend it to the screen because Pastor Rhonda's on the other side of that. But God, we just come before you, God, and we lift up these three ladies, God. As they're going with this, um, with this team from the Oregon Mystery Network, God, which is our church is a part of, God, and I just pray that um, as they go, God, there would be safety, God, their luggage would get there, God, um, that there would be no fiascos in the airport, nothing at all. God, I pray that they land safely, God, they'd come back safely. God, I pray as they're there, God, that you would use them, God, that you'd speak into their heart personally, God, into every situation they're facing right now, but most importantly, God, I pray that you'd use them, God, to communicate and speak to the people there. God, every person that they come into contact with, that they would be encouragement, um, um, 
to the missionary, God, that they'd be encouragement, God, to those they're getting to influence, God, and we just lift up their time to you, God. You know, um, you already know what's gonna happen, God. You've already written the story, God, and so we just trust trust you with them, and I just pray that you be glorified throughout all of it. In Jesus' name, everyone say Amen. With that being said, we're stepping into week eight of a series been called been in called This Is Us. Turn your and say, this is us. And the question we've been answering is, who are we as Relevant Life Church called to be? Who are we as Relevant Life Church called to be? So you as an individual that's a part of this community, us as a whole, who are we called to be? What is God's unique identity for us in this city, in this community at this time? See, we, we do this because we want to um, pursue, protect, and promote what we want to come become. All of us know that becoming something takes intentionality. Like, you can become something bad without being intentional about it, right? You can just drift into something. But if you want to become something specific, it takes intentionality. So we felt like God laid on our heart that we were going to look at the values that we feel like we want to drive this church. We feel like God has called us to drive this church. And we've, we've taken now um, almost two months to put these out in front of us so all of us can pursue them together. So we've talked about things like serving and being Jesus-centered and Holy Spirit-filled, um, relevant, relational, full of character. And I would just encourage you, if you haven't been here for one of these messages, don't listen to CNN or whatever you listen to and, and download one of these podcasts this week while you're on your way to work or while you're getting ready and just listen to one. It will not be a waste of your time. And I honestly believe this is for um, us as a community, but this is like good things as, as your li- personal life to pursue and value. So today, as we come closer to the conclusion of the series, I want to talk to you about a value that um, is really important to me. And uh, it's partially probably what just came out um, a second ago. I was not planning on, on fully getting into it like that, but God's spirit just came in me, I feel like. But um, it's a value that I think is given a lot of time to in the church. It's done a lot in the church, but I'm not sure that we teach on it enough. It's a, uh, a value that we prioritize in our gatherings, but I think we often forget follows us out the door and is supposed to be a part of every moment of our life. And that's the core value of worship, of worship. At RLC, we seek to honor God through a life of passionate Worship. Turn your neighbor and say passionate worship. Come on louder. Passionate worship. You got to say it passionately. You can't say the word passionate like meekly, okay? So what, is, what does this mean? What qualifies as passionate worship? Is this like we reach a certain decibel level when we sing? Marty would say yes, 100%. Um, is this that you memorize all the worship lyrics in case the screen goes down? Jeremiah would be like, yes, please, because then I don't feel as much pressure. Is this that uh, you, you raise your hand so we meet our, our, our hand-raising quota? Yes, there's a quota. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but like you have to hit three times at least every third chorus, right? It's the biggest chorus. You got to like raise your hands. I'm just joking, but supposed to be funnier. Anyway, um, what is worship? Why do we worship? How do we worship? And uh, I think this is a really loaded set of questions. I think this is a vast topic, but today I want to do my best to hopefully shed a little bit of light on this vast topic of worship. One that I think most people that, whether they're new to faith or been in faith a long time, can look at worship and go, no, I think I kind of understand this one. I hope to um, at least challenge your thinking a little bit. So the title of my message this morning is Three Truths About Worship. Say three truths about worship. And I know it was a really strenuous task to come up with that creative title, but yeah. Anyway, let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to speak. God, I pray that you'd use me. God, you know that the, the amount of time and thoughts I put into this message. God, you know how I've wrestled it. God, and I just give it to you. God, I believe that there's principles so true in your word that we're going to look at today, God. And I believe there's some people here that that may need to worship more, God, or they may need to, to look at worship differently, God, because they're missing out on things in their life because uh, they're lacking worship of you. And so I just pray, God, that my words would go forth, that you'd speak to each person's um, um, heart where they need it, and we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, 
Amen. So where I want to begin this morning is, um, in my opinion, one of the coolest stories in the Bible. It's one of those stories that when I come to, I just go, I hope I can do semi-justice to the story when I preach it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to give some context as you do that so you have a little bit of time. See, the book of Acts is found in the New Testament. Say New Testament which is the second half of the Bible. It's, directly, it's found directly after the four books of the Bible we know as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you're unfamiliar with those or you forgot, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are basically eyewitness accounts or accounts recalling Jesus' God in the flesh life on earth, okay? So he spent, like these authors all write different perspectives. They have little different parts in the story, whatever, but they're writing about Jesus. Acts directly follows these four accounts, which is really good to know, and it like literally follows historically directly after. Not all the Bible's chronological, but this one follows right in line. It's almost a uh, second, uh, second part of a series, a second season of a series, if you will, because Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, writes the book of Acts, and he almost goes directly into it. So it's like, here's the life of Jesus. He starts in Acts with Jesus going up to heaven, and then the church begins. And it recovers around 30 to 35 years of history, and this is important to know because it shows how the church was born. It shows how God's name spread um, across the known world at the time. It shows what the early church looked like, things that we all need to honestly um, value and, and, and find insight from on a regular basis. And one of my favorite things about it is that it contains some of the most powerful stories of what God did in the lives of those who had a relationship with him. Stories full of supernatural moments, impossible miracles, and God showing up in really difficult situations, which is why we're going to look at a story today that has all those things in it. Acts chapter 16. So if you turn with me, Acts 16, verse 16 says this. Once when we, let's stop real quick there, who's we? In this part of the story, we find Paul, the the amazing, well-known Paul, on his second missionary journey in a city called Philippi, which is actually in Greece. RLC is going to be representing up in Greece um, this week, so that that was actually kind of cool how that worked out. But He's on a second missionary journey with some other companions that are with him. So it says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but basically this girl was demon possessed. And this demon gave her the ability to predict the future or speak to the future, which caused the people who owned her as a slave to gain a lot of money. Why? One commentator noted that, for example, in that time period, pagan generals would sometimes use shamans or, or, or fortune tellers to kind of predict battles and so forth. And so this, she would have a client base probably in a Roman city in Philippi um, because of this ability of hers. But it says she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men's, these men's, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And I'm not really sure why she did this. Maybe she was trying to get on Jesus' good side. I don't, I have no idea. Maybe the demon was like, maybe Jesus won't cast me out. I have no idea. But she was shouting this right behind them. It says that she kept doing this for many days and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And I don't know about you, but this is such a power move, right? Like, this is a good thing. Some of you want to be able to cast whatever's in your kids out of them or that coworker or whatever. You're like, that'd be so dope. Like, like I'm just saying, you, I'm just bringing it to reality. Allie probably wishes this every day. Like, I cast whatever's in trend out of him now. In the name of Jesus. All right, uh, verse 19, it says, When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. 
And obviously these, these claims are not fully valid. Maybe they are causing some disruption, I guess, now that they did this good act. But at the end of the day, these people, these, these men, these slave owners, knew how to speak to the leadership of that town in order to make Paul and Silas pay for what they did. So it says the crowd joined in and attacked Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them, or they joined in on the attack. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he, orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Turn your neighbor and say, that escalated quickly. It did. I'm like, you just like did a good act, and now you're in prison after being beat. I'm just saying. Um, so it says about midnight, this is where the story gets good. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I would have loved to have been here to experience this. It says the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had, had escaped. And you may ask, why was he going to kill himself? In Roman law, um, I read this week that um, they would be required to face the same penalty as a um, escaped prisoner. So if they let a prisoner go, they would have to face the same penalty as an escaped prisoner would face, which is death. So rather than going through the excruciating pain and humiliation, he was going to kill himself. But Paul shouts, do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. What a story, right? What a story. I mean, you should say, yeah, that's, a, that's pretty epic. You're like, I would love to have been there to see that. I love this story for a lot of reasons, but mainly because it reveals some of the most profound truths about worship. And I think there's a lot of things that can be tied to worship in the Bible. But when it comes to stories and, and um, metaphors and, and understanding what worship does, this story has to be at the top. It has to take the top. See, um, in this story, I want to look at these truths, and I want to ask three questions that these truths answer. So the first one this morning is, what is worship? Turn to, the, turn to someone next to you and say, what is worship? This week while working on this message, I was um, looking back at some illustrations I keep in my phone for moments where I need to figure out how to like tie what I'm trying to preach into the message and, and give life, life to what I'm saying. And in doing this, I ran across a photo. Will you throw that photo up there for me? Has anyone seen anything odd about this photo? Will you go to the next one? It will help them out a little bit. You catch that now? There's two 25 mile per hour signs. One put there by the city, one put there by a resident, okay? So I'll tell you here in a second. But one day I was on a walk and uh, I was walking through my neighborhood and I stumbled upon this site, which really caught my attention and made me take a photo. Because if you can tell, like that's, that's a man-made sign. Like that's, that had to have been built and painted. So you, someone went through a lot of effort. And I was like, this is quite hilarious. And in all honesty, looking back, this was in February, so I don't really remember my thoughts at the time. I'm pretty sure it was something like, what a crotchety person. I'm just being honest. That's probably what I thought. Some of you are like, man, I got to throw my sign away that I built too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, uh, I get the frustration of people, like, people speeding. I may have expressed some disapproval um, in my neighborhood recently because I have PTS from a kid that hit our basketball hoop um, like this last spring. And anyway, that's a long story. But anyway, so I get that you care about the speed limit. But it's funny to me because it's like, dude, you put a sign right next to another sign. If they're not going to obey the official sign, why are they going to obey your fake sign? 
Like, what, what was the reasoning here? And so this really caught my attention, and I'm pretty sure that somewhere in my mind, I was like, I'm going to run back to my house, grab my truck, drive by this 50 miles an hour, and honk my horn just to spite the person. I know, I'm a work in progress, okay? Pray for Allie, because she has to deal with me every day. Anyways, this was my reaction when I took the photo and looking back. But this week when I saw this photo again, God actually used it in my mind to let me look at um, worship through a different lens. And I want to try to share that with you. See, God actually used it to deepen my understanding of what worship is. He revealed to me that this photo and the person who performed these actions to create it perfectly illustrate what true worship is. And I know this is a little bit confusing, so bear with me. Unfortunately, I think in church culture today, um, in our, our, our 21st century ability with worship and, and church and what it's become, we hear the word worship and we think of a 20-minute segment on Sundays where we stare at a screen and worship. We think of a certain genre of music or we think of certain artists that write worship music. And these are practices and products of worship. But worship is so much more. When you Google the definition of worship, the first thing that will pop up is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. I asked ChatGBT what worship is, and it replied, it's a little bit wordy. Worship is a religious or spiritual, pra spiritual practice where individuals or communities express reverence, devotion, admiration towards a deity, divine being, or sacred entity. It often involves rituals, prayers, songs, and acts of devotion aimed at connecting with the divine, seeking guidance, or expressing gratitude and faith. Now, obviously, ChatGPT needs to, I don't know, like condense, but you get the point, okay? Now, not, neither of these definitions are bad. Um, and actually, in ways, they're both accurate. But I think even they fall short of a simple and easy-to-understand concept of what worship really is. See, the word that we now know as worship comes from this old English word. We throw that next one up there, worth-ship. Worth means worthy or honorable. The suffix ship is the state of being whatever comes before it. That means worship is the state of being worthy. So it means ascribing worth to God. So what is worship? In the most simple way I can state it, worship is ascribing worth to something. That's it. It doesn't have anything to do with singing. Yes, it can be done through singing. It doesn't have to do with your giving. It just means you're ascribing worth to something. That's broad, right? That's easy to grasp. We've all ascribed worth to something. And in my opinion, this photo accurately illustrates that what worship is because it so adequately demonstrates what ascribing worth to something looks like. What do I mean? See, this person that put a sign in a row just for extra measure when there's already a sign present. This person that went to great lengths to buy the material and build this sign that seems overkill to someone without context like me had to have done this because they had someone or something that they were ascribing worth to that they valued and wanted to protect, that they wanted to care for. I doubt they just went through all this work to build this sign, drill holes. I think there was holes in it. Um, I'm assuming to, to, um, did, like, to um, make sure it stayed up when cars passed by in the air. Like, they wouldn't have done all this. They wouldn't have put it out around 8 a.m. or before 8 a.m. No one gets up to put a sign in the middle of the road before 8 a.m. unless they care about something. Maybe they had little kids in the house. Maybe they had students that were going to get picked up on a bus. Maybe they had um, someone elderly living in their home that, that was going to be out in the front yard and they were concerned. And so whatever the reason is, it, it doesn't matter. Their motivation is not the point. Their actions are what proves the point. And that's what God revealed to me this week. See, for whatever reason, they did what they did because they were ascribing worth to something. And its most basic definition, is that not worship? Isn't worship just ascribing worth to God through our thoughts, through our actions, through our time, through our life? Isn't it going above and beyond and, and adding the extra sign to go, I care about this? Isn't worship not caring what the person next to you thinks about how you're living your life for God because God is worth more than that person's opinion of you? Isn't worship living life in such a way despite how crazy it may seem to me? This seemed crazy. The other photos seemed crazy, right? Because God's what you value most, not what the person cares, not what the person thinks. If you ask me, that is what worship is. 
That's why we come on Sunday and we sing songs. Not because we, we feel like it, not because, not because we care what the person next to us thinks or because we have a quota of hand raising. We raise our hands because I'm showing worth to Jesus right now with my body that he is worth ascribing praise to. See, worship is not just a church service segment. Worship is a lifestyle. It's something that we can do at all times in whatever we do. All it takes is knowing what you want to ascribe worth to and then ascribing worth to it. And you're like, this is, this is not hard to grasp, Trenton, but here's the thing. If I would have asked you to count how many times worship happened in Acts 16 before reading it, I guarantee the majority of the room would have only counted one. When, when was that? When they sang. But I actually count five times that they worship, in my opinion. And I'll show them to you. Acts 16, 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer. How is this worship? God was so worth it to Paul and Silas and and the, the companions that were with him that they prioritized finding a place of prayer in a foreign city in the middle of their busy schedule so they could pray to God. They ascribed worth to God by their time, priorities, and actions. God's worth dictated how they lived their average life. That is That is worship. Acts 16, 18, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of here. How is this worship? God was so worth it to Paul that Paul wasn't going to put up with a demon that was in exact opposition to God. He was, he was ascribing worship, or ascribing worth. Paul was, um, God was so worth it to Paul that Paul saw the girl as a human being made in God's image, that he wasn't gonna leave her in the state she was at. He was going to introduce her to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that would give her life. He ascribed worth to God by putting faith in God that he could heal this girl, by casting the demon out. He ascribed worth to God by not tolerating what opposed God directly. This is worship. Acts 16, 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. How is this worship? Well, this is the easy one, right? And we're gonna get more into it in a little bit, but they, they ascribed worth to God despite their mistreatment, horrible circumstances, disgusting environment, and physical ailments by giving praise to God. They ascribed worth to him by their actions despite the hardship they were going through. Acts 16, 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, da-da-da. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. How is this worship? God was so worth it to Paul and Silas that rather than being selfish and trying to escape, they remained there to instead help a person that was keeping them bound. That's describing worship by going, God, I value what you want more than what I want. Acts 16, 32, they spoke to the Lord, um, they spoke to the the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. How is this worship? God was so worth it to Paul and Silas that rather than take their mistreatment out, they ascribe worth to God by choosing to go, God, I am a vessel for you. That is what I am, and that is worship. And I'm showing this to you today because I, myself, I get caught up in worship is what we come and do on Sunday mornings. Every action you choose to make can be worship. And by this definition, understanding of worship is where we're pulling this core value of passionate worship at Relevant Life Church from. Warren Wearsby said, worship is the believer's response of all that he is. So mind, emotion, will, and body to all that God says and has done and does. We don't just mean singing songs on Sunday. We mean living a life that ascribes worth to God by showing it with our, our time and our money through our actions, through doing and thinking and saying. John Wimber said, show me where you spend your time, money, and energy, and I'll tell you what you worship. So in light of this question, what are you worshiping? And this message could go off on a whole other tangent, and I'm gonna go somewhere else here in a second, but I wanna pause. What are you worshiping? What do the actions of your life say that you're worshiping? Because I think a lot of us claim that we worship God, myself included. I'm here on Sunday, I prioritize, I've given my life and ways to the church, but then like my money shows other things a lot. My time shows things like other things a lot. So what, what are you worshiping? 
The way we live our life is ascribing worth to something, and, and I think it should be God. Which leads to the next question to be answered. Why do we worship God? Why do we worship God? Because he is worthy of our worship. You're like, thank you again for the really elementary principle here, Trent. But like flat out, plain and simple, God is worthy of our worship. And I, I would be mistaken to start going into the benefits of worship and skipping the number one reason why we worship him. In a culture that is always looking for the benefit because we're consumers, I can't skip this one because this is the one I think we often miss out on. This is the one that goes, I don't feel like it, so I'm just not going to. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel like because it's not based on your feelings. We worship God, yes, because of his benefits, but we worship him because he's worthy. Not because, not, it doesn't matter what we believe about him. It doesn't matter what we feel about him. It doesn't matter um, um, whether, like, what we think about the life he's allowed us to live. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what we think, um, if we think he's worthy of our worship um, because of what he's allowing us to go through right now. He is worthy of our worship. And this truth is one at times I think we have trouble accepting. Oh, that's easy for you to say, look at the life you're living. It'd be really easy to worship God. Oh, that's easy for you to say, I'm not wa- you're not walking through what I'm walking through right now. Oh, it's easy for you to say, how about you tell me when life hits you hard that God's worth your worship. But the reality is, and this one's on the slide. Next slide, please. God being worthy of our worship is not anchored to what is happening right now. God being worthy of our worship is anchored to who he is and what he has already done. And I want this to sink in because this will change your life. God being worthy of your worship is not anchored to anything going on right now. It's to who he is and what he's already done. Well, who is he? Well, for starters, he's the creator of the universe that spoke and formed the universe from his mouth. I don't know if anybody you can do that, if any of you can do that, but come to me if you can, okay? He's the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present king of the universe. And as much as he is gracious to let us have a relationship with him, to make a way for us to have a relationship with him, he is holy. And he, we should respect him. We should even fear him, not fear like you're hiding under your bed as a kid, scared fear in the sense of he is God and I am not. He is creator and I am not. He is like the good, the good, gracious person that decided to put me in existence. I didn't do that. Well, what has he done? And this list could go on forever. We could have a whole series about what God does and has done, but how about he created you? You wouldn't even be able to have the conversation in your head if, you're, if in your mind, if, if he was worthy or not to be worshiped if he didn't give you a mind in the first place. Got him, all right, that one's good. He gave you your first breath. He has continued to give you breath every day since then. You are here today because God created you, chose to give you life. And not only that, when sin knocked on the door of your life and wanted to tear it apart, Jesus came. God sent Jesus to die so that you could have freedom. We just sang about it. He bought you a ticket to eternity where the finite mist of the life you're living right now like falls like pale in comparison to all that we will experience in eternity. This is why um, Paul wrote in Romans, Romans 8.18, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be, be revealed to us later. And this is why on the most basic level, God is worthy of our worship because of who he is and what he has done. And you may think, well, Trenton, this is great, but I, I don't see in Acts 16 where you're pulling this from, and I beg to differ. See, the, the, um, it may not be in plain writing, but we see this, this truth lived out in the actions of Paul and Silas. In Acts 16, we see an intense sequence of events unfold, right? Paul and those who are with him are on a way to prayer. Day after day, they get approached by the slave girl who's demon-possessed. Eventually, Paul gets fed up and does what most would deem as a great act and, and frees this girl that's in bondage. But rather than being shown gratitude, they're, they're captured, dragged to the leader of this Roman community, falsely accused of doing something wrong, stripped of their clothes, humiliated in the process, beaten with rods, thrown into prison, placed in the inner cell, and put in stocks just for safe measure. Okay? 
And we can't skip over the gravity of this because I think um, in, in our context, oftentimes we miss out on how horrible this would, this would have been. So I brought a photo with you. See, in the 21st century, I think a lot of times we beautify the really ugly parts of, of, of the Bible. And I love this. It's probably like this is the person that drew this good meaning, okay? But I, I take problem with this because um, Paul and Silas are sitting here. That looks really like fresh hay. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have fresh hay in a dungeon, okay? So first of all, they have blankies to keep them warm. What jail person's like, here's a blankie, okay? Um, they, there's no blood or stains. It says they were beat, severely flogged. I don't think you'd just be sitting there like with your clothes not tattered or anything, right? There's not even dirt on them. And uh, like the only thing they're missing at this point really is like they're Stanley, okay? Like they... <laughs> This, this photo is too good to be true. Some of you, it's fine. Stanley's like this thing that's popular. It's fine. Okay. Anyway, but this, this is not what happened, okay? Acts 16.22 tells us that they were beaten with rods. In Roman times, rulers or authorities would carry, um, sometimes carry rods, also known as fasces. They look like this. We go to the next slide, this next photo. This is what they were most likely beaten with. Obviously not the axe side. They wouldn't have made it out alive. But you get the point. Like that's not, that's what they were beat with. It says they were severely flogged. Um, later in the text, it says that the jailer, um, um, sorry, I lost my notes. Uh, he came and cleaned their wounds. You don't clean, like, bruises and aches. You're cleaning open wounds. They were, they were bleeding. They were in pain. The passage continues on in verse 24 and says they were put in the inner prison. Scholars note that the inner prison was the place reserved for the foulest and most dangerous felons. If you use your imagination, you may see that the inner prison was probably damp, cold, insect-infested, and had a horrible smell. Verse 29 tells us the jailer called for light so he could go see them. They were sitting in the dark. It was hopeless. Verse 24 tells us that they were, weren't just placed in there, but they also had their feet clamped in stocks, meaning they couldn't move. They had to just sit on this cold floor. I imagine stone or, or dirt floor in their wounds. And this is the predicament they found themselves in for doing a good act, I might add. Now, based on these details, I think you and me would give Paul and Silas a pass if in that moment they didn't want to worship God. They were, in fact, representing and living life in a good way, but God allowed them in this situation. So why is he worthy of their worship? But instead of taking that pass, they actually illustrate perfectly what I'm trying to tell you. God worship was, was, was beyond, God being worthy of their worship was beyond how they felt in that moment. Beyond what their circumstances called for, beyond their feelings, God's worth in them was not anchored in their circumstance. God's worth was anchored in who he was and what he had already done. The Paul that sat in that prison, choosing to worship God despite all his pain, is the same Paul that wrote in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship the NLT says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. An influential minister in my life summed this up um, a while ago and said, um, in view of what God has done for you, your only reasonable response to worship him is with all of you and with all that you have. Because of who he is, what he's already done, he's worthy of our worship. If God never did another thing in this life other than send Jesus to die for your sins so that you could walk free and whole until eternity, I think he's worthy of our worship. But this is the best part. This is the best part about God. This is not the only reason we worship him. The amazing thing about God is that he is a loving and giving God. He's not just up there demanding worship from us. Instead, he, he deserves our worship, yes, but despite that, we get something in return. At the end of the day, worshiping God benefits us too, which leads to the last truth about this story. What happens when we worship? 
when we worship, it invites God to show up and show off in our lives. And this week, I really wrestled with how to bring this message to a close. And I felt torn on how am I supposed to show the million ways, how am I supposed to illustrate the million ways that God benefits us through worship. I felt myself going like, in my life, how do I even express the many times that I have genuinely worshiped God despite my feelings that he showed up and done something in my mind, in my heart, in my body. But the realization I came to is that all I could really tell you today is that worship has the potential to change everything because it invites the one who has the ability to change everything into your life. That's what worship does every time. I can't put um, an exact formula together that if you raise your hands this many times, you get on your knees this many times, God's gonna do this. I can't do that. All I can tell you is that I have experienced it and the Bible tells us through this story that when we worship God, he shows up. He can show up, he can change your perspective. He can make you realize that your problem may be big, but you serve a bigger God. He can help you take your focus off the hopelessness of your circumstance and make you realize the power of him. He can, he can come in and change the atmosphere of your life. He doesn't necessarily remove you from your current situation, but he can come in and he can do miracles in that situation. He can be present in that situation. You're like, well, I've never seen God shake the roof. I, I believe he can do other miracles. And I believe he can, he can, he can free you from, from, from mental chains that are holding you down. Worship invites God to show up and show off. And this story is one of my favorite testaments to that. And I want to try to express this part of the message the best way I can because I believe some of you today are coming and, and you're like, you're hearing me, you get this, you've heard this before, but I don't want you to forget the power of what actually happened in this moment. Acts 16.25 tells us, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. I think too often we read stories like this and whether it's because of, of familiarity or because it's, um, we, it's just a quick overview of a story, we lack the ability to truly understand this moment, what it would have felt like for them. So I want to try to do my best to, to bring it to life for you. See, we're used to these high-quality, big-screen productions and movie theaters that suck us into the story, right? And I think we fail to step in and go, what would have Paul and Silas felt like? But I want to start with, these are just two ordinary men, two ordinary people, just like you and me. Two people who found themselves in a situation that was completely out of their control. A situation that they did not know the end to or what was going to happen. Even though we know what happens because I already read that, you, that they, like God shakes the prison and they get out. They had no idea. For all we know, they could have been thinking, dude, we could be here for like 10 years. They have zero idea. They didn't know if they were going to get out of prison the next day. They didn't know if they were going to survive from their wounds. Like if it were me, I'd be freaking out. Like is this place sanitized? Like I have open wounds, okay? Like this is like what would have been happening. Put yourself in their shoes. But they realized that although they were incapable of changing anything in this, in this present moment, they knew a God who could change everything. And so they worshiped him. They invited him to show up and show off. And this is the best part. They were not in church with the greatest band playing. We don't even know if Paul had the gift of singing for crying out loud. He could have sounded like a dead horse. We have no idea, okay? They didn't have pro presenter with lyrics. They were singing from their mind. They could have just been free praising truth about God. They didn't have AirPods or iPhones, and yes, Paul definitely would have been an Apple user, not Android. Candy already left, so she didn't hear my joke, but it's fine. He would have been using Apple. Damien, don't shake your head. Brittany's comforting right now. They weren't in their special devotion area with their Bibles and a cup of coffee. They didn't, they didn't, um, they didn't, they didn't have their, their special place. They were in immense discomfort and pain from the open wounds of their body and the cold ground beneath them. 
And I just want you to think, they were probably fighting so many thoughts of doubt. Like we see them praising, but what were they praising to get away from? What, why were they worshiping God? If everything was going good, you don't need to worship God. Why were they trying to shift the focus of their mind? They were trying not to succumb to what their mind was telling them. And I assume that they were in the pitch black. They were probably unaware of their surroundings. In some ways, I'm like, were they even able to see themselves? Could they only hear each other? And so what did they choose to do? They decided to sing. They decided to worship God. And I, I like to imagine it when it's something like this. The atmosphere is changing now. For the spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. For the spirit of the Lord is here. So come on, my soul, oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So come on, my soul, oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all, Jesus. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory. And as they worship in that moment, he showed up. Acts 16 tells us that suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. God's presence filled that place. And the miraculous power of God brought an earthquake. And it wasn't a fluke or coincidence. You can't tell me that an earthquake was powerful enough to break the chains of the prisoners and break the doors open but not bring down the building. God showed up. And that's what worship has the power to do for you. Wherever you are at, whenever it is, whatever situation you're facing, every time we gather for Sunday, we're not just playing around. We are worshiping. We're battling Every Tuesday lunch break when you feel discouraged and you're like, why did I choose this job? My spouse hates me. Whatever your feeling is and you throw your AirPods in, this is what can happen. Every Thursday night you feel anxious as a parent of I am screwing my children up or like my boss hates me. I don't know why I'm working this job. You can worship God and he will show up. God is just waiting for you to invite him. And the question I wanna end on today and I want you to ponder is what would have happened to Paul and Silas had they not worshiped? What would have happened if they let their feelings in the moment stop them from doing the only thing they really had power to do? With the people, I love the text because it says the prisoners were listening and I didn't even get into this, I wanted to add it, but worship is a witness to other people. When you worship God, you're witnessing him to other people. So would those people not have heard about God? Would this jailer and his family never heard about God? 
what would, have, what would have they missed out on? What would the people have missed out on? And my question is, what are you missing out on? Because you're letting your feelings or circumstances dictate your worship. Because you're letting the moments and hardship in your life right now stop you from thinking God is worthy. And it may be confusing and it may take faith and you may be in the dark, but God is always worthy of worship. And when you stand in heaven and you look back on this life, no matter if you were beat up, drugged through the dust, God is still gonna be worthy and you're gonna see it because you're gonna see him face to face, his presence. And at Realm Life Church, this is why we believe in worship. This is why we believe in who we worship. And this is why we worship, because we believe it has the power to change our lives. Today, I just want to pray over each one of you, because I'm sure there's many of you that are facing things. And if you're not facing things right now, this is something to put in the bag when you start to face things. I believe some of you, the answer right now is not figuring out how to come up with the finances or figure out the situation or do this. It's to worship. It's to worship the God who has the ability to affect things. And so I just wanna pray. I wanna pray a prayer of faith that as you take the steps of obedience, because I'm not with you tomorrow or the next day or the day after that when you're feeling down. I'm a text or a phone call away, but you can put on worship music faster than you can text somebody. And I'm not with you. And so I'm gonna pray in faith right now. I'm gonna ask God to show up in the ways he's shown up in my life when I've worshiped, I've experienced him in your life when you go to worship him next because I believe he has the power to do that. So God, we just come before you. God, we start by saying, God, you are worthy. God, you are so worthy. God, I am sorry. God, we're sorry. God, for thinking, God, that the things I'm going through, the things that we think you've allowed or whatever, God, that 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 hinders us from worshiping you. God, I could live the worst life after meeting you and you still would be worthy of worship. God, so that's where we start. God, and I pray that as we worship you, God, that in the coming weeks, God, the coming days, God, when we gather every Sunday from here on until you remove us from Relevant Life Church or remove Relevant Life Church, whatever it is, God, that we would encounter you. God, we would come expecting an experience from you. Come expecting peace to fill our hearts. Come expecting to lay burdens down. Come expecting for literal miracles to happen, for aches to be healed. God, for things to be unbound in our lives. God, when we're at work, God, or we're at home, God, and it's late at night, we can't sleep, God, and we feel anxious, God, or, or we're fighting with our spouse and we have to leave the room for a while. God, as we go to worship you, God, I pray that you would change the atmosphere of our lives. God, that this is not just words I'm throwing out, God, but you would back up what I'm saying, God, because you did it in Acts 16, and you can still do it today. And God, we just come before you. God, we thank you. God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you created this ability, God, to worship, God, to to sing, God, to use vocal cords, God, and and to to declare worship, even if we sound horrible, God. You gave us us arms and limbs and hands and fingers, God, that we we could in ways worship you. God, we thank you that you gave us gifts and jobs and other places, God, that we can worship you through our gifts. Some people don't realize that how good they are at building something is actually just a gift of worship to you. God, some people don't realize how good they are at math is actually just a gift of worship to you. God, so we thank you for those gifts. God, I come against the enemy that would love to keep us in chains in the dark and not worship. He would love for us to stay that way. God, but today we decide to worship. And we just thank you for it. And we love you in Jesus' name. Everyone said.
Amen, amen. Well, thanks for being here today, Relevant Life Church. I'd encourage you, we got a worship night coming up, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, and this is where we practice this. Like sometimes you need to come in here and build your faith so that you can go out there and actually use that same worship you do in here because you practice it in a safe environment. So that's why we're gathering, to worship and pray, to, to call upon God and, and ask him to come in our lives. So I encourage you to, um, to join us. I'm gonna invite the prayer team up. If you have something you need prayer for, please come up here, and we will see you in the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.